Blog Talk Radio. your host, Paul Gaynor, for the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. And you can send messages to the show on Twitter at Go For It Can. And while you're there on Twitter, give me a follow at Go For It Can. That's G O F O R R I T Can T A N T. That's G O F O R I T G A N T. Go For It Can. So make sure you follow me there. Great show lined up for you as always. Expect to be joined by Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. Going to talk all things NFL with Willie. Talk about some of the happenings around the league. Also, we're going to talk to 30 for 30 star and of the 30 for 30 movie, ESPN's 30 for 30 movie, Broke, Keith McCants. We're going to talk to him about that particular movie and uh, what's going on with him now. And also, we're going to be joined by Basketball Wives star LA, Basketball Wives LA star Gloria Govan. She's going to be joining us talking about all things Basketball Wives LA. I know a lot of people watch it. I know a lot of people enjoy it. So we're going to talk to her about that. And she got some other things going on outside of Basketball Wives. So we're going to talk to her about all those things. I want to start right now, Major League Baseball, the playoffs are in full swing. As we saw the other day, the Yankees, the big bad Yankees, are out. They are out. They are out. Swept by the Tigers, and then series, I mean, other than you, you look at the whole series, it was just, it was a domination. The Yankees' bats really went silent. I mean, it went silent. And and going silent, they were not able to compete with the Tigers. It's almost like each and every game, the Yankees pit, Yankee pitchers, Yankee pitchers, excuse me, it's almost like they needed to pitch flawless baseball, no-hit baseball, perfect games pretty much. I mean, that's what they needed to do if they were going to be successful in the series. It seemed like that's what the, that was the only way this team was going to be successful, if they no-hit or a perfect gamed the Tigers. That was it. That was it. That was it. And ultimately – the Yankees were dominated by the Tigers in this series. Absolutely dominated. Dominated. And uh, a lot of people are excited. I mean, a lot of a lot of people are very excited about what happened in this series. And you look at this series, game one, you had Abanez come back and really do his damage. And the Yankees as a whole do damage that ninth inning. But before that, the Tigers were dominating that, that baseball game and the pitching that the Tigers were getting 
in that game one was dominating. It was just the bullpen. Valverde gave the game to the Yankees in that ninth inning. But other than that, one situation, that one spot, if you look at it, the Tigers were pretty much dominant in this series. Pretty much dominant in this series. Shut the Yankees out game two. And you look at the Yankees collectively in this series. Four in game one, zero in game two, two, I mean one in game three, and one in game four. So that's a total of six runs in four games. Six runs in four games. That's less than a run a game. Averaging out, so it's going to be hard to win baseball games when you're not hitting. It's going to be hard when you're not hitting. The pitching wasn't awful for the Yankees. They're hitting. You're not. You weren't getting the hitting. You were not getting the hitting. And the Tigers' ERA in this series, they were just dominant. The pitching was dominant. One point zero two in this series. The lowest. The lowest. The lowest in Major League Baseball history. The lowest in postseason history. 1.02. 1.02. And then you have the situation with Alex Rodriguez. And whether or not, you know, should they hit him, should they put him in, take him out, whatever. I mean, I, I thought it was a mistake by Girardi not to uh, have A-Rod in that game. I can understand, I mean, in that final game, if you want to go down, I think you want to go down with Alex Rodriguez. I think you want to go down as that with Alex Rodriguez as your guy. That's what you want to do. You want If you're going to go down, you want to go down with your best player, and Alex Rodriguez is their best player other than Derek Jeter. And Derek Jeter. I mean, you saw once he went out in that game one, it kind of took the wind out of the sails of the Yankees. Took the wind out of the sails of the Yankees, and that was it. It, it just that was it. That was it. And I'm, I'm looking at uh, I'm, I say A. Rod is the best player. I, I mean, he's one of their better players on the team. One of the better players. And with Jeter out, you could argue he is the best player on that team. But in the playoffs, he was awful. He was god awful. He was he was awful. He was awful. He he was awful. There's no getting around it. He was awful. Derek, I mean Alex Rodriguez was absolutely positively awful in this series. Awful. Awful. He was awful, and awful in this whole postseason. 25 at-bats, three hits, and those hits were all singles. All singles. Struck out 12 times. That's, that's awful. That That's not getting it done. And what happens with the Yankees now? An older team? Does A-Rod move on? Do they move A-Rod on? Do they move A-Rod on? I mean, who was the best player on their roster in the postseason? Jeter? I guess you could argue Abanez. Of course, Sabathia was good. But, I mean, uh, uh, who was the best players in these series for the Yankees? And Robinson Cano, one of their better players, he was awful as well. He was awful as well in this postseason. So all, all the big hitters for the Yankees were awful. 
They're all awful. They're awful. I mean, this is a Cano, 33 home runs in the regular season. 33 home runs, 94 RBIs in the postseason. 40 at-bats, only three hits. Only three hits. I mean, he was awful. He was awful. All the big guns were awful at the wrong time. There's too much awful baseball at the wrong time. Awful from the standpoint of Cano, of A-Rod, Swisher was awful. Granderson wasn't much better. It was just the Yankees were just bad. The lineup was bad in this postseason. Bad against the Tigers. They were just bad. Flat out bad. And now the Yankees have an off season to think about some things. They have some they have an off season to think about some things. A Rod, thirty seven. He's old. Mariano Rivera, your closer. He'll be forty three next month. He's coming off a, a, a torn MCL. He's coming off a season ending. ACL injury. He's coming off a season injury, knee injury, uh, Mo. So, and he's 43, so how much can you expect from him? Andy Petty, he's 41. He's a free agent, but he's 41. Kuroda, 38. I mean, this is a young team. Ichiro, 39. Obanez, arguably one of your better players in, this, in these uh, playoffs. 40. Yankees are a little old. They're a little old. But they do have the money. They do have money. And when you have money, you have chance. You have an opportunity. They have money. They do have money. Do they bring Alex Rodriguez back? Do they bring A-Rod back? Or do they send him to Florida with the Marlins? Where does A-Rod go? Where does A-Rod go? Do they pick up the option on Curtis Granderson? What happens there? Corota, Pettit, do you resign those guys? They're old. They're old. And the Yankees, throughout the course of this year, obviously that lineup was good. They were good this year. The lineup was good this year. They play well in the regular season, this lineup. They play well, this lineup did. I mean, you look at the Yankees, they were second in the majors and run scored in 2012, this year. So maybe it's just a, a case of the Yankees just hitting a cold spell. Just a, Maybe it's just a case of the Yankees hitting a cold spell. Possible. Not sure. Possible. Not sure. Or is it a, a sign of maybe A-Rod's done? Jeter. Well, can he return and be effective coming off a fractured ankle? He's older now. 
There's a lot of old players on the Yankees. This is an old baseball team. This is an old baseball team. An old baseball team. And Jeter was having a great year. Had a, had a fairly decent year for the Yankees. Had a fairly decent year for the Yankees. He really did. He really did have a good year for the Yankees, but he's 38. How much more does Jerry Derek Jeter have to offer? Jeter, A-Rod, Pettit, Kuroda. I mean, 38, 37, 43, 41, I should say, 43 with Mo Rivera. I mean, this is this is an old baseball team. What comes of this old baseball team next season? What com- and you look at the Yankees. I mean, and you saw what they did against the Orioles and the Magic that we saw there, and even against the, you know, Game One against the Tigers, you saw that Yankee Magic with Abanez and and his home runs, and well, home run I should say in Game One. You just saw that Yankee Magic. It was just magical with the Yankees. It was magical. Just magic happens with the Yankees. Stuff happens with the Yankees. Magic happens with the Yankees. You saw all that. You saw all that magic. And then as the series progressed, as the series went on, the magic started to dissipate. The magic started to go away. And after the Tigers came back in that game one and then Jeter fracturing his ankles. It just the, the wind went out of the sails of the Yankees. The wind went out of the sails of the Yankees, and it was over. It was over. What happens to the Yankees? What happens to the Yankees moving forward? So old baseball team. They have the money, but are they going to be? They're, they're paying a lot in terms of the luxury tax. Paying a lot in a luxury tax. Paying a lot. And they're paying a lot of money. I mean, they put over $200 million since 2003. $203 million in terms of luxury tax costs to this ball club since 2003. And granted, they're making a lot of money. Yes Network, I believe, was valued, saw the other day, valued around $600 million. So there is a lot of money coming to the Yankees. Will they continue to spend, spend and spend? Or will they become a little more responsible? They're an old baseball team. They may have to spend. They may have to spend. Or it could be, again, a byproduct of this team just getting cold at the wrong time. 804 runs scored by this team in a regular season. It's not a fluke. I mean, 804 runs, second best in baseball. So we'll see what happens with this Yankee lineup and this Yankee team moving forward. See what happens with A-Rod. That's that's probably the next shoe to drop at some point. What happens with A-Rod? And if the Yankees are willing to pay a good amount of his salary, I think teams are going to go after him. Why not? Why not? I mean, he did have 18 home runs this year. Did have 18 home runs. 
I mean, did A-Rod look, did A-Rod look bad in this postseason? Yes. But am I ready to say A-Rod is done? No, I'm not ready to say that. I'm not ready to say A-Rod is done. You can say it, I won't. I'm not ready to say A-Rod is done. You look at the pitching with the Yankees, Kuroda, 37, Pettit, 40. I mean, those guys are old. Those guys are old. But A-Rod, 37 years old, again, played in 122 games, 18 home runs, 57 RBI, batting average 272. I mean, this guy, I think, is still a, a, a productive player in this league, in baseball. I think he's still a productive player. Still a productive player, in my opinion. I mean, a year ago, played 99 games, still had 16 home runs, 62 RBI. You're looking at 2010, A-Rod was an, an absolute monster in 2010, 30 home run, 125 RBI, 270 batting average. I mean, so he's two years removed from that. He had 18 home runs this year, so he's not done. I, I don't think he's done. I'm not ready to say A-Rod is done. Is he on the other side of things? Possibly, yes. Is he done? Not ready to say that. I can't go there at this point. I can and I won't go there. I will not go there. I will not go there at this point. I won't. But hey, there's always a possibility. And I'm not doubting that he could be. I'm not saying he's not done definitively, but I don't think he is. I can't say I can't put it in stone that A-Rod is not done. Because I don't think he is. But there's always a possibility that he is. There, There is that possibility that he is. We'll see. Also in baseball, the San Francisco Giants survived last night, beating the St. Louis Cardinals four to nothing. They're still alive. Barry Zito, a tremendous performance, dominating performance for the Giants last night. And it's going back to San Francisco for the final two games. Going back to San Francisco for the final two games. So, with that being said, with that being said. With the game now, in San, final two games in San Francisco, there is always the possibility. <clears throat> There's always that possibility for the Giants now. They're down three to two, but they have two home games. Two home games at the crib in San, in San Francisco. Two games in San Francisco. And they were dominant. Berzito meaning. He was dominant. He was dominant. Pitching was key for the Giants. But it's hard to go against these St. Louis cockroaches, Cardinals, excuse me, cockroaches affectionately because they survive anything. Any and all things, they'll survive. It's hard for me to go against that ball club. Cardinals have two games now to to win this series. Two games to win one. I like those odds with this Cardinal team, especially what I saw over the past two years. Especially what I saw over the past two years. What I saw over these past two years have been nothing short of remarkable. I mean, it's just amazing what this team 
has done over the last two years. And we can go list on and on some of the great things this team has done in terms of comeback performances, so on and so forth. With that being said, I can't doubt this Cardinal ball club. I can't and I won't. They're going to win this series still. They have two games to win one. And you have Chris Carpenter going to game six. He's been a horse over the past two years in these playoffs, an absolute horse, a horse. Though he wasn't so good the other night against uh, San Francisco. But he's been a horse other than that. And he wasn't really completely all that great. Well, he was great in the Washington series, I should say, but he wasn't good the other night against San Francisco. Cardinals had two games to win one. I like the Cardinals' chances to win this series. I really do. I want to move to the NFL now and uh, Bounty Gate, this whole bounty scandal, Saints bounty scandal thing. And it's pretty annoying at this point. It's, it's a story that just will not go away. And now Roger Goodell has removed himself from the bounty hearing. Former Commissioner Paul Tagliabue will now hear the appeals. He will now hear the appeals for the Saints, for Saints players involved in the scandal. Well, two of the are now Saints, are Saints players, two are not. Jonathan Vilma, Will Smith, Scott Vegeta, Anthony Hargrove. And the union called for this, the players called for this, and I think it's a great, it's a great move for Goodell to recuse himself and remove himself from the situation. I said it last week. I, I I didn't think how, I mean, how partial could Goodell be in this situation? Vilma filed a defamation lawsuit against him. I mean, the players have openly, openly talked negatively about Roger Goodell throughout this whole process. I mean, it's personal. I, I, I don't think it can't be a, no other thing but personal. It's personal now. It's a personal situation right now. This is a personal deal between these players and Roger Goodell. And from a player standpoint, of course, it's got to be personal. This is your livelihood. This is your money. It's got to be personal. You mess with your money, it becomes personal. You mess with a man's money, person's money, man, woman, what have you. You mess with their money, it becomes personal. And Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell, is messing with these guys' money. And Jonathan Villa will play tomorrow against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He will play tomorrow. And, I mean, you wonder, you wonder how partial Tagliabue will be. You wonder. Goodell did work under him for years. So you wonder if he, if, if he could be partial. And I, I think people are going to watch that, and they're going to be looking for that. Obviously, the lawyers, the union, they're going to be watching. They're going to be watching. And if if Tagliabue goes in favor of the players, how does that work now in terms of his relationship with Goodell, in terms of Roger Goodell's authority, period, and his, his reputation among players in this league? I mean, how's that going to work? How's that going to work? How is that going to work? 
So, Paul Tagliabue will hear the case October 30th, a couple weeks from now. He will hear hear the case. He will hear the case. And one of the guys that allegedly or has been identified as one of the whistleblowers in this whole bounty scandal, Jimmy Kennedy. Um, And Kennedy actually played with the Vikings in 2010, and uh, you had the situation in 2010 where there was allegedly a bounty on Brett Favre in the NFC title game. And Jimmy, Jimmy Kennedy... And he had an interesting. He had some interesting comments yesterday, and let me read them. And here's this statement: "Quote: The commissioner of the NFL recently distributed a memo to all 32 NFL teams regarding the alleged Saints bounty program that contained blatant lies about me, thereby adding me to a list of men whose reputation and character has been irreparably damaged by the shoddy, careless, shameful so-called investigation behind this sham proceeding." Wow. Kennedy goes on to say, Roger Goodell identifies me as a whistleblower who approached former Vikings coach Brad Childress about an alleged bounty on Brett Favre in the NFC Championship game. That is a lie, according to Kennedy. I had no knowledge about any alleged bounty to reveal to anyone, and I've never informed anyone that I did. Contrary to the false information disseminated by the NFL, Coach Childress approached me and asked me if I knew anything about such allegation, and I told him the truth. I did not. I had no knowledge of any such alleged bounty. Wow. So Jimmy Kennedy, former defensive tackle, played for the Vikings in 2010, has basically called Roger Goodell a liar. Called him a liar. Kennedy went on to say, Roger Goodell also states that I was interviewed by the NFL about the alleged bounty. That is another lie. I was never interviewed by the NFL. Unless the NFL considers two 30-second conversations of security that I had no knowledge of any such allegation, interviews I certainly do not. Wow. Wow. Well. Kennedy goes on to say, after the second phone call from the NFL, which I once again told the person that I had absolutely no knowledge of any alleged bounty, I called my agent, who then retained an attorney for me. We informed the NFL security person that further contact with me shall occur through my attorney. And interestingly, interestingly, we never heard from the NFL again. Wow. Well, Kennedy goes on to say, the third lie that Roger Cadell told about me is perhaps the most upsetting because it involves a man for whom I have great respect and affection, Anthony Hargrove. The NFL states that Anthony Hargrove told me about the alleged bounty on Brett Favre. That is another lie. It simply never happened. I never discussed an alleged bounty with Anthony Hargrove before during or after the NFC Championship game. The only discussions I have, have had, I have had with Anthony about the alleged bounty occurred when we recently spoke about the NFL's egregiously flawed and unjust investigation and proceeding. 
I am not one of the players who have been disciplined by the NFL as a part of this sham. But I know now, but I now know that I, too, have been damaged by the NFL's complete disregard for truth and integrity. Wow. Strong words by Jimmy Kennedy in that statement. Strong words by Jimmy Kennedy. He insists he is not the whistleblower. He insists that the NFL has lied about that. Here's what the NFL had to say. Jimmy Kennedy and Brad Childress were interviewed separately by our office as a part of the investigation. We are confident of the accuracy of the information that has been disclosed. Somebody's lying here. Somebody is lying. Somebody is not telling the truth. Who do you believe? Do you believe Jimmy Kennedy? Former defensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. A guy who had a relationship with Anthony Hargrove. Or do you believe the NFL, Roger Goodell? Who do you believe in this matter? Who do you believe? It's interesting. It's it's interesting. I mean, Jimmy Kennedy did not hold back there. He called Roger Goodell a lie. He called this whole situation a sham. He didn't hold back. He did not hold back. And I guess you can understand it from his standpoint, Jimmy Kennedy's standpoint, being that, I mean, no one wants to be known as a snitch. And essentially, that's what Jimmy Kennedy would become and would be in this situation. Now, I mean, you would think the NFL, in some respect, would possibly protect Jimmy Kennedy in this particular situation. If he, in fact, if he, in fact, told the league and Roger Goodell about a such bounty, you would think the NFL would protect his identity, protect him on some level. I mean, how can, and he's retired at this point, but how can you, I mean, he's an NFL player. How can he be around NFL players if they felt like he's a snitch? Now, I don't know who to believe here, Jimmy Kennedy or the NFL. Jimmy Kennedy says it's all lies. He didn't have a conversation with the league about what happened. The league says he did. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? Who do you believe? Why would the league, I will say this, why would the league say that Jimmy, they had a conversation with Jimmy Kennedy about what happened and and everything and, and put out a memo about these things? Why would the league do that? Why would the league do that? Why? I'm not saying the league wouldn't lie because people lie. People do lie. Everybody lies. People do lie. People do lie. People do lie. The league lies. Players lie. People lie. Who do you believe? We'll see. 
one man that I do believe and one man that we enjoy talking to each and every week, Hall of Famer, the one, the only, the great Willie Rove. Willie, how are you, sir? How you doing there? Great. Uh, no, well. what, what, what happened with Jimmy Smith? Jimmy, Jimmy Kennedy, uh, the situation with the bounty scandal, apparently, he was one of the guys that uh, was one of the whistleblowers about the whole situation. And the NFL apparently distributed a memo to all 32 teams, to adding some of the players in who talked about the whole situation. And Jimmy Kennedy was one of the guys that Roger Goodell and others have said is one of the whistleblowers about this whole Saints bounty scandal. Mm. Jimmy Kennedy mm. denies it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how this whole thing plays out. It's the ultimate he said, he said, and we'll see who wins. We'll see who wins. And Paul Tagliabue, again, will be hearing the appeal on October 30th. That should be interesting. That should be an interesting thing. Willie, let's let, let's talk about Ray Lewis now. Ray Lewis out for the year. You have the Ravens now, Ladarius Webb out for the year, one of their better corners. This was a team 26 against the run. Cowboys had over 200 yards rushing against the Ravens last week. This is not the same Ravens defense that we all know and love. Are the Ravens still contenders at this point, Willie, without Ray Lewis, without Ladarius Webb? Oh, well, and then you got not you got not a modest, got a bad hurt his MCL, you know, and he, he's the one who slow stops the run in the middle of the field. So you had you had you know that, that's and they say that's they say that's the best cover corner right now. You know, you got Ray Lewis who is slowing down, but he keeps he puts everybody in the positions they need to be in on the field. So he's the quarterback of the defense. You lose your quarterback that's been there for, you know, almost 20 years, and you have a deep tackle to turn. Um, it's going to be an uphill battle. But, you know, it's going to have to go to flack on offense. What can they do? Can they control the clock? They do have serves coming back, but, you know, he's, he hasn't played all year. But right. can that offense control the game and take over? I don't know if Flacco can do that. If they can, then, you know, they're 5-1. They're but you know what can what can the offense do to control the clock and uh, score points? So the pressure goes to the offense. They got the weapons, and uh, it's up to them to see what they can do. Right. I mean, and, and to your point, I mean the offense. It's better. It's a better offense in in, in Baltimore now, and they're they have some explosion with Ray Rice, Torrey Smith, and those guys. But the defense is not the same. Obviously, the defense is not the same. It's not the same old Ravens defense. And to your point, Joe Flacco is going to be the guy who's going to have to step up now. It's on him right now. Ray Lewis could be back. I don't think he will be, but he could be back. They they put him on IR with the possibility that he could come back. So uh, I don't think he'll be back. And if he's back, you wonder how effective he truly will be. But it's going to come down, like you said, to Joe Flacco. And Willie, another team uh, – the Green Bay Packers, a team that I told you about last week, don't be quick to put this team away. They go into Houston. Aaron Rodgers goes up and down on that Texans defense. Six touchdown passes, 42 points, and the Packers beat the Houston Texans. Willie, the Packers, three straight games now. They have the Rams. They go to St. Louis, a game that's very winnable. Two home games against Jacksonville and Arizona. When it's all said and done, this team in my opinion, will be six and three and right back in, 
into contention. Are the Packers back, Willie? Yes, if they can play consistent football. The problem with the Packers is they show up and play great sometimes, but they've been playing inconsistent, and they've been doing that for a couple of years now. If the Packers play the way the Packers can play, yes, they are in contention. But they got to come with that type of effort week in, week out. And we see laws in the Packers game now that we didn't used to see. So uh, if you get that performance out of that Packers team, if Aaron Rodgers is on like he was on last week, uh, then then they're, they're tough to beat. Uh, so, yes, I think they are back in contention. And I think they will make a big run uh, because, you know, I mean, it's – it's NFC heavy right now. I mean, who 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 in the AFC? When you look at the top teams, I mean, who who, who in the AFC can you say can compete with some of these teams from the NFC right now? Well, I mean, that's, I think that's a fair point. I mean, you look at the AFC; everybody is three and three mm-hmm. or below, except for Houston, Baltimore, and Baltimore. That's it. Everybody else is three and three or less. So, I mean. I mean, the Patriots, obviously you have a Tom Brady. you you got to put them, at least give them a, ch- a shot. But, I mean, Denver, they're on top of the AFC West, and maybe now Peyton Manning is starting to find himself a little bit. Maybe Denver as a team is starting to find themselves yeah, a little you bit. Can't get, you can't get behind by 24. You can't get behind the eight ball every week. I mean, they get behind every week, and then they're playing catch-up. You're not going to win playing like that. You're right. If you have a good football team and you get down by 20, you're not going to catch up. You're not supposed to catch up. I mean, Philip Rivers throws a few picks. I mean, I don't understand, you know, what, 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 I mean, I mean, I think that, that game last week, I think that cost North Turner's job. I mean, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that at home. And, and to that point, I mean, the, the, if they win that game, a game they were up twenty-four to nothing, they would be in control of that division. Denver, instead of being three and three, would now be two and three, two and four, excuse me. And then you have San Diego, who would have been four and two. So you would have put a stranglehold on that division, or at least had a two-game lead at this point. That's big, and you give it away. I mean, Philip Rivers, four interceptions. That's essentially just giving the game. Away and ultimately Denver, where it was able to come back. But looking at the AFC, Baltimore and Houston, and your team, the Houston Texans, will your team you've been touting this whole year? I mean, Aaron Rodgers goes in there and just smacks them. I mean, he just smacks that defense. That's a big time defense at Houston. Aaron Rodgers just went in there and just smacked them, smacked them up, and and did work against that defense. I mean. It's, how you look at the AFC? I mean, is this all about the NFC? It, it, it's basically it seems like the NFC is the dominant conference this year. They are they, they, the NFC is the dominant conference, and um, I, don't, I mean it's left to be seen. I mean the NFL, NFC, AFC looks. I mean you don't know who you don't know who to uh, you know what t- what you're gonna get from them weekend week out. Like you said, I mean it's just. It's not not the consistency. Same thing we're talking about Green Bay. So, you know, like I said, you don't know what you're going to get week in, week out with the uh, AFC. But somebody's going to have to turn it up and start playing good, consistent football and stringing together some wins. 
I mean, uh, you know, Buffalo showed some flashes too. I mean, you got Denver, um, New England. Um, you know, I think New England is still, you know, one of the top teams over there. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the AFC. It's going to be interesting to see. But you got you got some dominant, good football teams in the NFC. And, uh, and uh, like I said, Green Bay has a chance to take over. But I think right now home court still is going to go through Atlanta right now. So as long as Atlanta takes care of their business, uh, you know, they should – be the team that you're going to have to go to Atlanta to get wherever you're going in the NFC. And, and let's look at the AFC for a second, Willie. I mean, other than Baltimore, other than Houston, out of the three teams that are three and three, New England's three and three, Buffalo's three and three. Well, the, the whole AFC East is three and three. Um, Cincinnati's three and three. You have San Diego and Denver, who's three and three. And what about the Jets? The Jets, yeah. The whole AFC East, the Jets, the Buff- mm. the Bills, and the Dolphins are all three and three. Steelers are two and three. Is there any of those teams at three and three who you think can really threaten in the AFC? Can really separate themselves in the AFC? I, I'm looking at New England, and even though Pittsburgh's two and three, I still can't put Pittsburgh to bed. And of course, no, 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 Pittsburgh, no, no, not with that line, no. Mm-hmm. So you 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 don't think Pittsburgh will? You think Pittsburgh is, is one of the teams the defense, that may not you know, make the playoffs? In the defense, it's going to be tough on Pittsburgh. We'll see. It's going to be tough on Pittsburgh, though. And I'm looking at Denver, and that's a team I, I have my eyes on. I think they can really, really I think make they can. Now, they got to play more consistent, too. They do. They, oh, yeah. they got to play more. Denver. I think New England and Denver more than Pittsburgh. Right and, 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 and you look at Denver's. Let me just read you their their next their last few games, their last nine games. New Orleans, Cincinnati, Carolina, San Diego, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Oakland, Baltimore, Cleveland, Kansas City. So this that that schedule, that remaining schedule is very, very manageable. That's a very manageable schedule for uh Denver. A very manageable schedule moving forward. So we'll see. It is. And I think they're going to be the team that's going to uh, – I think Denver Broncos are going to be the team that, that will, should, should move to the front to the front pack of the AFC. Right. And I, and I agree with you. With that schedule, that schedule is perfect. That's the perfect schedule. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. And, Willie, we talked about the dominance of the NFC. And one team that looked very, very dominant – was the New York football Giants going into San Francisco, battering Alex Smith, forcing Alex Smith into a lot of interceptions and turnovers. Alex Smith didn't look good. The 49ers did not look good. And the 49ers, they did win against the Seahawks on Thursday. But, again, Alex Smith did not look good. Let's focus on Alex Smith right now. Should the 49ers be concerned about Alex Smith? I know I am, and I've always been concerned about this guy. Yeah, but but that's all you got right now. Uh, I mean, you got to ride with him this year. You know, you got to play with him. Uh, so uh, it's not enough. They, they, who else do they have? If they can go to the backup, which they use more of like a kind of like Tim Tebow, the big tall kid. Kaepernick. Uh, yeah, but, but so 
I don't think he's ready to to take over the reins. Uh, so I mean, I mean, who do you go to? So I mean, I think you got to go with Alex Smith, and uh, he's got a lot of weapons around him, and, and I think he'll be okay. But uh, right now, I mean, that, that's what the Harbaugh's got to run the ball and, and and help that kid get his confidence back. You can't you can't uh, take him out because you just you just destroy his confidence. Right, and and I don't think there. To your point, I don't think there is another option. I, I think that their option is Alex Smith. He he is their guy. But uh, and you look at the way the Giants beat up on that team. They got out early on the Forty uh, ers and Alex Smith and the Forty ers had to catch, play catch up. And anytime you put Alex Smith and the Forty ers in a catch up situation, they're not the same team. Alex Smith is a front running quarterback. He's at best when his team is in le- in the lead. But anytime you put him in a situation where he's going to have to throw the ball a lot and have to come back, benefit, you have to say, advantage the other team with Alex Smith in that situation. You have to say advantage the other teams, and we'll see. We'll see. I think he is the guy that's going to ultimately hold the 49ers back. I really do. But we'll see. And we talked about the Giants. I mean, the Giants are a team, obviously, that is playing some good football right now. I mean, a very impressive victory in San Francisco, dominating the 49ers. And Eli Manning has been nothing short of remarkable. He's getting it done. The Giants are getting it done. Look out for the Giants in the NFC as well. Look out for that team. They're, they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Very tough team to beat. Very tough. With that defensive line, with that with that offense, they're going to be tough to beat. But, Willie, another team that – when it's all said and done in the NFC, I think it's going to be tough to beat. It's the Philadelphia Eagles, believe it or not. Big news out of Philly after two consecutive losses, after two losses in the fourth quarter where the defense had to lead both times, including a 10-point lead that they blew against the Detroit Lions on Sunday. The Eagles made a move, and they fired that defensive coordinator, Juan Castillo, and brought in Ty Bowles. Ty Bowles was the secondary coach. They promoted him to the defensive coordinator spot. Did you agree with that? Did you agree with that move? Um, I don't disagree with the move, and, and I'll put it to you this way: you, I don't, put, you put it all, you put all that on the defense. I don't think I don't think it's all on the defense. Okay, but I think obviously Juan Castillo. I don't, you had Namdi Asamoah who questioned some of Castillo's play calling the other night. Well, the other day against the Detroit Lions, questioned his uh, play calling there, and you got the sense in general that the team did not really, the defense as a whole, did not respect Juan Castillo and, and his ability to well, call he, a defense. Well, didn't he take him from the offensive side of the ball? They took him from, I mean, obviously you have to blame Andy Reid here because they took well, him from the offensive side of the ball. Well, why are you going to take this guy from the offensive side of the ball and put him in coordinator anyway? <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah, you're right. You're right. And so so you got somebody you can control. I mean, bring in somebody that they're going to respect. Why would you do that? You should have bought somebody in some other respect before before the season started. I mean, I don't. Some of the moves, of the moves that they've done, I just, I just don't understand why they do, what they're doing, why they're doing it. You know, and uh, it seems like you know Andy's been running that same offense for so for so long, and maybe teams have figured it out. You know, maybe they know what style of play calling he's going to do. He's been running the same. System there for fourteen years, so I mean, after a while, these these NFL, these teams can figure out what you're doing. You know what I mean? You got you got to be able to switch it up. 
But I mean, like you said, if they if they weren't the same stuff they've been doing, I mean, teams are gonna figure that out. But here, here's what I think. I look at this move, and at the end of the day, I think it's the right move. I think obviously Juan Castillo, it wasn't the right fit. He was coming from the offensive side of the ball, becoming a defensive coordinator. Never was a defensive coordinator on the college level. I mean, so this is this is the NFL. This is big time. You're playing. And, and coaching against guys who've done it before and done it for a long time, coaching against men. These aren't boys you're coaching against. So I, I look at it, and it was a bad move, obviously. It was a bad, bad move. But I think in firing Juan Castillo, you, you see it happen all the time where where a team will make a move, and this type of move puts everybody on notice. Michael Vick is now on notice. Everybody, everybody else is on notice already, though, Paul. He, he should be. I mean, all the turnovers Michael Vick had, he, they're talking about uh, sitting down. He he had no notice already? Come I, on, I'm not man. saying he's not already on notice, but this makes him more on notice. He's all year. He has been. He has been. There's no arguing there. I mean, he has been turning the football over. But I will say this, and I, don't, and I, I may sound like a Michael Vick apologist at times, but I will say this. When the Eagles needed points to win football games, when in, in the most pivotal time, the most pivotal moment, it, to me it's like Allen Iverson if he goes two for thirty, but if that thir- if that one shot is the game winner or the shot that puts the team in position to win, then I mean two for thirty is bad, but he he hit the game winner. And as far as I'm concerned, Michael Vick, the turnovers are bad. They're they're obviously bad. He's averaging essentially two turnovers. Well, if you keep going two for thirty, you're not gonna win hardly anything anyway. You ain't gonna be <laughs> shooting all game winners. <laughs> That's true, but I mean, you've seen it over years with, with with shooters. Jordan, if he's having a bad game, if he hits the game winner, it doesn't matter. And as far as I'm concerned, Michael Vick has put his team in position against Pittsburgh, put his team in position against the Lions to win football games. Okay, and if Michael Vick doesn't turn the ball over going in on the goal line, they don't lose the game at Pittsburgh. I don't think so. I understand your point, but he's got to stop turning the ball over. He's a vet. He's 32 years old. He's supposed to. These are supposed to be his prime years. I mean, he came off the bench that one year was playing excellent. Right now, it's supposed to be with Michael Vick. You're 30. When you're 32, 33, 34, those are supposed to be your peak years when you're an experienced player in the league. You know, those are your peak peak years in your early to mid 30s. You know, when you hit about 35, things change. But right now, it's supposed to be when he's having, he understands the game is supposed to slow down for him, Paul. He's got, and, and I agree with you, if, if they can stop turning the ball over, and if their defense gets fired up, they can be good. But they got to cut down on the turnovers or they're not going to do anything. And the defense, I mean, the defense has played fairly well this year. I mean, the the problem is right now they're not getting any pressure on the quarterback, three games without a sack, and they're not getting any turnovers. They're not getting any turnovers and they're not pressuring. They're no, not you're pressuring. Not getting, if you're not getting any pressure on the quarterback, that's a problem. That's a big problem. That's a, And you know better than than anybody. That's a big problem. And let me just give you this one stat. Give me give you the stat with Juan Castillo as defensive coordinator. The first three quarters, we're talking about the Eagles' defense in the first three quarters of games, during the Juan Castillo era. Three quarters, you're talking about they're tied for six in points per game, tied for six in opponents' yards per game, tied for, uh, they're in first place in third down percentage, and they're tied for ninth in takeaways. That's the first three quarters. 
Let's go to the fourth quarters now. The first stat, points per game in the fourth quarter, they're 23rd. Opponent yards per game in the fourth quarter, they're 22nd. Third down percentage in the fourth quarter, they're 30th. Takeaways in the fourth quarter, they are 32nd. So basically, so you're talking about a team. What you say is they get conservative in the fourth quarter. They can't finish. That's the team as a whole. They're not finishing football games. On are, both they sides blitz, of the are they blitzing? Are they blitzing like they used to? Because they they're used not to be known as, they as they used to. No, they're not. Okay. And let me add if one you more. You can't put pressure with the front four. You got to do some mixing, some blitz packages. You got to put pressure on the quarterback. I don't care who you're playing. If you're not going to get to the quarterback with four, you got to mix up those coverages and you got to do it some blitzing. And one more stat, Willie. Seven blown fourth quarter leads, the most since 2011. So, as far as I'm concerned, this defense can't finish. And when you can't finish and you're blowing fourth quarter leads. Well, the offense has to finish then, Paul. Offense has to finish. Offense is at. Well, you could argue theoretically that the past two weeks the offense has finished the game. You could argue that. I mean, they had a 10 point lead with five minutes to go against the Lions. And they had a one-point lead with six minutes to go against the Steelers. In the Steelers game, the offense wasn't able to touch the ball again. In the Lions game, they were able to touch the ball again, but they didn't move the ball. But the defense theoretically gave up 13 points in the final five minutes of the game and into overtime. So, I mean, Michael Vick, you cannot absolve him from any of this. I mean, the turnovers are bad. You can't turn the ball over that many times and expect – uh, to win football games. But at the same time, it's not like when it's all said and done, he hasn't put his team in position to win. I agree with you, but you got to stop the turnovers, and the team's just got to start clicking together, playing together on the same page. Southwark, they just haven't been playing together as a team. They haven't been playing, you know, consistently together. And they got to do and they got to do it. I mean, this is, this is becoming a little bit of a pattern for the Eagles that I see. And, uh, you know, last year they started, when last year when they were out of contention, they started playing great football the last month of the season. you got to put it together right now. You can't wait till the pressure's on right now to get it done, not get it done when the season's already over. That's why Andy Reid's back this year is because of how well they played at the end of last year. But they got to get it done right now. And Michael Vick and Andy Reid, I'm ready together. So if the ship be sinking, they're going to go down with the ship. And they're going to understand and, that. So and, and we'll the bottom line is this. The season. And the bottom line is this. I mean, if it doesn't work out, Andy Reid has to get fired. I mean, he was the one that pretty much gave Michael Vick a franchise contract, franchise quarterback type contract. And he was the guy who moved his offensive line coach to defensive coordinator. What has been the two weaknesses, you could argue, over the past two years for the Philadelphia Eagles. You could argue at quarterback, Michael Vick has not been consistent. He hasn't been. Since 2010, he has not been a consistent quarterback. And you could argue that the defense, another problem area for the Philadelphia Eagles. You blow five fourth-quarter leads in 2011. You blow two fourth-quarter leads so far in 2012. Somebody's got to pay for that. Somebody's got to pay for that. And defensive coordinator Juan Castillo was the one who paid with his job. But I think I look at this, and I think this could be the move that turns this whole season around for the Eagles. 
This could be the move that, that brings everybody together. This could be the move. And I, and I look at this move, and we, we may look at this move 10, um, you're talking 5, 9, 10 weeks from now. We could say this was the move that turned the Eagles season around. And at the end of the day, they are 3-3. Three and three. They're one game behind the Giants in the NFC East. And coming off the bye weeks, throughout Andy Reid's career, he's undefeated. And coming off the bye week, they do have the undefeated Falcons coming to Lincoln Financial Field. And I expect, and I'm putting it out there right now, I expect the Eagles to win that particular football game. Because I look at the Falcons the past couple weeks, they have not played good football. They have not really, and people are looking at their record, and, and yes, their record is impressive. Yes, they're six and zero. Yes, they're, they're, they're they seem to be playing well. But but let's look at the last. Let's look at the Falcons last week against the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders were beating them most of the game. Exactly. I'm playing them. And then you had Washington, who had them. You had that was the game RG three went down, and he had the Carolina game where you had uh, Roddy White make that big time catch there. Well, they should have made that if they make their first down. Yeah, you make the big catch. How do you let him throw a bomb backed up on the one-yard line? And if Cam that's Newton all. gets the first down, that game's over anyway. Right. Exactly. And that's a great so point. They've had some luck. They've had some luck. They've had some luck. And so, as far as I'm concerned, that's a game the Eagles will win. They will beat the Falcons. And once they beat the Falcons and they have the Saints after that, a game I think they will win as well. But I'm a little concerned about that Saints game because I, I, I'm under the impression that there's a possibility that the Saints could take off. They finally get that one victory against the Chargers. They have the bye week now. Drew Brees gets the record. That could be the thing that brings that team together, and they could take off. That defense has to get better, but they, they could take off. They could take off in New Orleans. They really could. But we'll see. I mean, I don't – I'm not sure, but – uh, that's a that the Saints are an intriguing team to me. I think that that situation, getting the record and, and everything, could really bring this team together, and ultimately this team could take off. I do think they will beat Tampa Bay tomorrow in Tampa, but we'll see. Willie, as always, we got to get your top five, the top five teams who you think are the top five teams in the National Football League. Let's have it. Well, after the performance that the Super Bowl champs last year put up on uh, in San Francisco, very impressive. I know that uh, it looked like it took they took the wind out of uh, the 49ers. I mean, they didn't look good again last week, but they were playing pretty good football beforehand. Uh, New York number one, uh, Atlanta hadn't looked as good, so but I still have to put them at number two. Um, at number three, because of uh, the way they went and played against Houston, I had to put the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they were wow, that's three and three. Well, I had to their own upside. Um, um, and then number four, oof, I mean, is anybody in the AFC going to get in this mix? I don't even think anybody's in, you know. I guess you uh, could still say Houston and Baltimore. I got well. I got Houston number five. I took Baltimore out. I had to put San Fran. I had to put San Fran in there. They won this week, and I would have to put Houston at five because of the fact that Baltimore. I don't know what Baltimore is going to be able to do with the injuries, and I just don't know if Flacco's ready to do 
to be that to be that go to guy. Because right now right. is the time for Flacco to step up. So I got the Forty Nineers in Houston in there. Only one team from the AFC that uh, that I can put in the top five after what happened to New England, which they should have won, could have won that game. But Tom Brady uh, threw a couple big picks in that game, and uh, I mean, anytime you score about thirty on the road, you still score a lot of points. But uh, Seattle, uh, the young quarterback stepped up and made a couple big plays. Uh, we had a Braylon Edwards sighting last week. We did, we did. We did, and uh, Tate, uh, you know what I mean? And, and we had a, a, semi, a right sighting. You know, remember he had a right, great year with, uh, with with the with, uh, Vikings a few years ago with Brett Favre. So, um, like I said, I don't, somebody's got to step up in the AFC. I agree with you. I think it should be the Denver Broncos by their schedule. And it's Payton and these guys get on the same page with the offense. They're going to get better and better. Uh, so hopefully they pull away from the back. I don't trust Pittsburgh right now. After what well, it's hard seen. to go against Big Ben for me. With I know, so, but, but, but how many shots is Big Ben going to be able to take? Right now he's got a patchwork offensive line. The Pittsburgh Steelers should have addressed that offensive tackle position through the draft over the last couple of years. They have not addressed it. I think they have to address drafting some linemen after this season, but uh, they will have to address it. You know, and, and this year probably, probably draft a couple of linemen. So uh, that's where I'm at right now. And we'll see. I mean, I mean, I I can't really argue with this list. I mean, the Giants were impressive going in, into San Francisco and, and smacking the 49ers and the Falcons. As far as I'm concerned, they've they've gotten lucky the past couple of weeks. They they really have gotten lucky the past couple of weeks. And so uh, that's a team again that I'm not. They're six and zero, but I'm not in love with them. They are healthy though. They are healthy. They've got they lucky, are. but they are other than losing Grimes. They are healthy. I'm just not in love with that team right now. And I've like I we talked about this before, but I've seen this script before with the Atlanta Falcons. We've seen this before. We'll see. We'll see. The 49ers they concern me too. And uh, and I think. They have enough to get to the playoffs, but I'm not sure they have enough to get to the Super Bowl with Alex Smith at the helm. I I, I still think in a game where you have to to score the points, I I have my concerns. I have my concerns if if he gets in a playoff situation and his team gets behind. I have my concerns about Alex Smith, but I don't know. We'll see. And that's why you play the game, and the NFL is very exciting, a lot of parity. A lot of three and threes in the AFC. A lot of three and threes in general around this league. And who's going to pull away? Who is going to pull away? And that's going to be the question that's going to be answered in the next few weeks. Willie, as always, man, pleasure talking to you. Let's do it again. All right. We'll see how I pick through this week. <laughs> Willie Rowe, 11-time pro bowler, Hall of Famer. Great insight from Willie. Great insight. Great, great insight, and uh, we'll see. We shall see what happens moving forward in the National Football League. The second hour of Go For It starts right now.
second hour of Go Forward underway. In this hour, expect to be joined by former NFL linebacker Keith McCants. Also expect to be joined by basketball wives, LA star Gloria Govan in the second hour. So a lot of great, great, great guests coming up in the second hour. Should be great times, great times, great times, great, great, great times. And I'm going to enjoy it. Definitely going to enjoy the second hour. And I think you will as well as you're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. In the next uh, couple minutes, we're going to be joined by a guy, an uh, interesting story, Keith McCants, a uh, former NFL linebacker. As we saw a few weeks back on the ESPN's 30 for 30, the movie title broke. His story was prominent in that particular movie, and it's it's a must-see movie for those who have not seen it. I mean, it really sheds light on on the issues that some athletes have with money. And the way I've always looked at it in terms of that, and it's not shocking to me to see athletes lose money and lose all their money because, I mean, the reality is when you're that young and you come into that much money, how are you going to handle it? If I'm 21 years old and somebody gave me $3 million, how would I handle it at 21 years old? Not so sure I would handle it right. And I think as we, we looked at that movie, I, I think one thing that came out of it for me was the notion that, you know what, we could say, yeah, this guy's stupid, that guy is stupid. But when you're 21 years old, 22, 23, 24 years old, have all that money, good looking, in shape, Women are, are, are craving to be with you. It's got to be very difficult to hold all of that off. And, oh, by the way, still be effective on the field. Let's bring him in now, former NFL linebacker Keith McCants. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How y'all doing today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us, man. Man, I'm glad to be here. And I want to say hello to all the listeners, man. And I tell you what, we got some exciting stuff to talk about today. We got some learning experience to talk about today. And I will tell you something. All those that's out there, open your ears and, and, and listen because it's we to talk about some good things. Definitely. And, Keith, let's get right down to it. You're 21 years old. You come out. You have a record signing bonus back in 1990. As far as I'm concerned, you pretty much hit the lottery. At well, what yeah, point did it start to go wrong for you? Well, you know what? You really don't really things are, being in that lifestyle. Things are so fast, you're not used to it. And um, then all of a sudden, my third year, when I look back, I'm in a position where I have to play football. Even if I just say I got tell I got three million dollars my first year. Okay, and then after I buy the house, I do this. I make some investments. I make some investment. I'm thinking everything's going all right, and I know I'm gonna get another contract. I know I'm gonna get some more money, and then. I do. I came out of out of college on one leg. I was damaged goods when I came in the league. Then all of a sudden they said, "Okay, we got to get rid of this guy." A million dollar pay cut. Whoa! 
So that's when the, the, I, I had to take the painkillers. I had to take the shots, and then that led to that's a whole other story. But right. when you in a position where you have to do something, is it is that extra added pressure? As a, like, like you said earlier, as a young man, now a lot, a lot of players got egos. You know, it ain't as as it, and the more money you got, sometimes it's the bigger ego you got. And so some of us don't. And some of us got a big heart. And a lot of athletes got a very, very, very big heart. And we don't know how to say no. And we want to hear. We want to try to go out there and try to try to say the world. And one thing you learn, I learn, you can't be everything to everybody. You got to mm-hmm. learn how to say no. You know what I'm saying? And in my and, position, I bought a guy a house. I bought people wow. cars. I did this. And he's one of my relatives. But then wow. when the when the, when the push comes to shove, and you need that you need the extra help. Please just some advice, and they ain't nowhere to be found. And then as I said, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I made a statement in a in an interview one time that money destroyed everything around me that I love. And this that I should have got a money manager, which I thought I had one with my agent. Just because he's an agent don't mean that he he can handle your money. And right. I'll tell you. It's, there's some sharks out there. It's, you know you actually have people out there that sit down and wait and see who going to go number one or who's in the top 10 or top 15 draft pick. And, they, and then a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of colleges have cracked down on the agents. So what they do now, I know they don't like to, like to hear this, but they send people at your family members. So many agents try to hire me to go in and talk to this guy, talk to that guy because I'm keeping the camera never able to listen to me, but I refuse to do it because I know the outcome. They give you a hundred thousand. They give you a thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars. They expect a million or two back. You know wow. what I'm saying? Um, what's and this guy's name? I mean, you, yeah, go ahead. You, you, you talked about saying no, and and tell me. I mean, we no is a beautiful word sometimes, but it's got to be very hard to say no to friends and family that you're close to, that you love, that you really respect. I mean, talk about really saying no and how hard it really is to do it. It's very difficult to do because these are people that you was raised with, and that 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 probably have been been there and supporting you in some some shape, form, or fashion. But they ain't that they they not they not there taking the licks. They ain't taking the chances. Man, I had six concussions, twenty nine surgeries. It's very difficult to say no to these people because then you feel you got a certain certain guilt upon yourself, and then you 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 help them do this, you help them do that. But not most of the, the, the friends and family is 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 everybody. All of a sudden, I got, I got strangers calling me talking about dating my cousins and, and this and that. And uh, after the after the documentary, they come from all over the place, man. I'm telling, you, it's like I didn't hit the lottery. I don't get paid for these interviews. I'm doing it because God put this on my heart to share my story, so nobody else won't make the same mistakes that I made. That's what's right. important. And I, I, I feel that I'm doing. Well, I don't want a coaching job. I don't want to go back to the NFL. I wish the NFL would embrace me and help me to share my story around the world because every college football player and high school football player and some of the first-year NFL players need to hear the story that I have to tell. And I don't think I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell the truth. It's going to be raw, uncut, and how it is. And this is what you, learn, then this is what you can look for, real-life stuff. Now, that, they, a lot of people ain't going to like it. The NFL may not like it. But if I don't tell the truth, how can I help you? Right. I mean, it is what it is. And the the thing about you, Keith, and I, and I read somewhere where you said you wish you never were rich at all and you don't want to be rich again. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I feel that way. I, because the love of, in the Bible said the love of money is the root of all evil. Money didn't change me. It changed the people around me. And then I have to isolate myself, cut myself off, because every time I get a phone call, uh but like I said, I got $45,000 to get a car wash. And I'm going there on a car wash. I ain't seen that guy yet. 
Wow. You know what I'm saying? And then you get friends from all those places. And it's very difficult to, 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 to determine who is your friend and who loves you for you, for real, and especially when it comes to women. Women, they're the world's they the best manipulators of the world. Now, don't get, the women don't get mad at me because I know y'all trying to feed y'all family and y'all want security. I hope the women don't get mad at me. But those women that that do that, you have to, in the NFL, they say, watch out for these women. If you wear a real Rolex, they come after you. If you drive a nice car, they come after you. If you in the NFL making six figures, they come after you. And all of a sudden, you're this one pregnant, but you really ain't. This one got this, and you ain't. Or you have sex with them, they say you're raped them. And so there's so many sharks and so many manipulative people in the world. It's an evil world we live in. So yeah, that's it. That, those, those are some of the things I want to talk about to tell these guys, watch out for this. Everybody ain't going to make it into that field. So get that education and have a background where you can fall back on. You know what I'm saying? That's right. what's important. I mean, you I'll tell you that because a lot of NFL players don't have other skills. And then, right. like Junior Seau, one of my best friends, he killed himself. Uh, Andre Ward, he killed himself. Bobby right. Trey killed himself. When the NFL players cannot live, learn to live life on life terms as being an NFL player or superstar or something like that, and they have nothing else to do, and then they they, they get going to a depression, and then it's not just me. I tried to kill myself, and things like that happen to us because and then all down what the NFL do embraces and give us something to do. Let us put together a. a, a, a a company or something where we can go out and sit all, all over the world and prepare these people for these things. Definitely, definitely. I mean, because it comes fast. The end of your career comes fast, and it came fast for you. And one thing about you, Keith, you talked about the women and everything. You talked about in the documentary. You just talked about it a few minutes ago. And to me, this probably has to be the hardest part as of being a professional athlete is avoiding the temptation uh, of the women, I mean, you're talking about grade A women throwing themselves at you. We're not talking about B, C, D, F type women. We're talking about grade A women throwing themselves at you. How difficult was it for you in general? How difficult is it for guys to avoid the temptation? I'm going to tell you something. You can't have, it, 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 the only way to avoid that is you uh, child, is your child in Christ and some of those mess up. You have preachers mess up. You have, you know what I'm saying, you, you have people that, that it, it don't matter. When it comes down to woman, well, I put woman on earth for a man, and some of the things that this guy always dreamed of having, now it's at his fingertips. The right. thing is, is that who are you going to do? Who are you, you going to invite, invite, invite into your life? Are they there? You know how many, do you know the divorce rate of a, you know, of a professional athlete after they get through playing? It's high. It's I really, know it's high. Very high. And then they maintain the, the, the lifestyle. You look at these NFL players, the NBA players, the Brazilian players, and you see how many kids they got around the world. Wow. Some guy paying twenty twenty seven thousand dollars a month in child support. I pay child support, you know what I'm saying I don't, I don't want to get into my thing because I got to go back to court. Wow. <laughs> so it's like it, it, it is really it's really devastating. One of my friends, he committed, he hung himself after they after after they played for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He hung himself after the Buccaneers. Uh, fired him because his wife left him. This is something else that we have to deal with. You put your whole heart into, into, into this family and you don't play football no more and then all of a sudden you get fired and your wife, your your your, your partner, your best friend, your right. children's mother leave you because you don't have the finances to maintain her lifestyle and the way she want to live. You got 100% of your heart in this relationship and then all of a sudden she only got you all find she only got ten percent into it. 
And definitely, you talked about and you're talking about now. We're talking to former NFL linebacker Keith McCanson. Keith was one of the stars of ESPN's 30 for 30 movie Broke, uh, which aired a couple weeks back and is still airing on ESPN uh, right now. And Keith, you talked about the 29 surgeries, six concussions. At this point, how are you doing physically? Man, I'm gonna tell you something. I got almost two years under my belt clean from drugs. I, I'm gonna tell you a short story. Give me 30 seconds. Uh-huh. I went from I went from prescription drugs to street drugs because the NFL turned my insurance off, and I had to get money out of my pocketbook for things like, like um, medical bills and stuff like that over six hundred thousand dollars. I'm saying, and then it was cheaper for me to get street drugs to do the same thing that the medical drugs that, that the prescription drug was doing. I did okay. fine for a while, and then I got caught up. Today I'm almost I think I maybe slipped two times in, in two years, and I'm doing I'm doing I hurt every day. I'm in pain every day, but I, I just learn how to say no. I don't even take a lower tail. I don't take no pills. I don't take nothing. Work with a guy taking all natural herbs and stuff like that. I'm on a diet. I lose weight, and I pray. I go to church. I, but you know what? I would not. Like, I got God in my life, and one thing I do is this, this part of my message. I pray to God that I stay clean because if I can't help myself, I can't help nobody else. Right. And how difficult is sobriety? I mean, it's got to be, like you said, you fell a couple times the last two years. Yeah, How difficult is this thing? It's very difficult, man, because I'm saying, I didn't do drugs. I didn't, I didn't get hooked on drugs. I didn't do drugs for pleasure. I did it to moderate my pain, and it, it escalated to something else different. Okay. And if you don't have a, a, a good foundation, if you don't have a good foundation to fall back on, you'll get caught up. And a lot of a lot of NFL players get caught up. You know what I'm saying? But the thing is, the NFL really should have put me on a rehab before I left. They don't know right. I was addicted. Seven, I saw six, seven years on morphine, taking 180 lower tabs a week. You know what I'm saying? I don't fault them because I made the I made the choice to do that, to take them shots. I don't fault, so I don't fault the NFL. The fault is not all theirs. But as an organization and they and the professionals and the doctors, they said, okay, you got a you got a drug problem now, and uh, what we're gonna do? We're gonna put you in this rehab of but before you, we let you go out into the real world because in the past we have X amount of players that couldn't handle it and OD'd or probably got hooked on drugs. I had legal problems. And everything I had to me, man, I'm not ashamed of because God brought me through it. And now I'm able to share with the world of what not to do. And basically you're, you're pretty much saying that you took drugs not because of any type of mental pain per se. It was more so the physical. Yeah, the physical pain. I, sometimes okay. I get up, man, I fall. You know what I'm saying? I walk and I fall, bust my head wide open. Um, I holler and scream in the middle of the night when my phone is connected and I can't hear just one, one sudden move and I'm waking up out of deep sleep hollering and screaming. Sometimes I should ball up like a baby and cry because I'm wow. in so much pain. Wow. Yeah, I this, mean, this, it, and this, this is the honest God truth. I can, I can tell you to the... Uh, to, to, to my wife and my ex-wife and people I slept with in the past, they're like, what's wrong with you? My, and as I said, I it's very difficult for me to even have a sex life because my body ain't, my body, I can't, I can't, I can't handle it. I hurt too bad. Wow. So, yeah, I, it's, a, it's an everyday struggle. It's one day at a time. And, Keith, we, we hear the stories all the time about, players and their spending habits. We we heard about Vince Young, free agent quarterback now, who reportedly during his rookie year spent $5,000 a week at the Cheesecake Factory. 
when you hear those type of stories, does the, the what comes to your mind? Um, you know, is that the the biggest thing is that the biggest problem in the world is not knowing, and knowing is half the battle. If you know what you're getting into, then probably you won't go that way. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, right. who best to tell anybody about what's going on or what could happen than somebody already been through it? That's why it's so important that we form some kind of organization. That's why it's so important that I go out there and spread my word. And I hope every NFL player, baseball player, basketball player, hear what I got to do. It's like it's like money and, and drugs, women. They just not discriminate when you when you, when, when you're making the big bucks. Those those things on these. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't discriminate. You're subject to a fall sooner or later if you don't right. know what to look for. It's gonna happen. And the thing is that it ain't when it happens, it's how you respond after it happens. I'll tell you one thing. The difference between a rich man, I mean a, a smart man, and a wise man, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man can learn from other people's mistakes. Definitely, and hopefully people will learn from your mistakes and some of the things that you did in your life. And you, you talked about it in terms of, you talked about in a documentary, I should say, that you lost four houses and you lost it all pretty much. What is like? What is life financially like for Keith McCants now? Well, you know what? It's, I'm, I'm, I'm not hurting. I'm not. I'm gonna say I'm not on the streets. And financially, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not begging nobody. And the most important thing I need to do, man, is just just, just maintain. I told right. my agent, I said, look, I want to go out. You book me in those schools. You book me at the, um, at, at, the, at, at, at the university to tell my story. Then what about the money? I said, I don't care about the money. Money will come. Get it, get it come, and if it don't come, I'll still be all right. right. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, don't, I don't want to take a job with the NFL. I, don't, I, 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 I want to give a nonprofit organization which allows the government to fund it and that any kind of donations that, that I receive, that will be great. That will be great. You know, if I receive it, fine. If I don't, fine. But um, if I can get the government back, man, I know the NFL will probably will pitch in and, and match it, whatever. Um, they have they have um, different organizations. They get different programs for that. And I look forward to for, for trying to fill out the 503C or some, some 501C or something like that. They're for a nonprofit organization. But what's on my heart is doing the work of the work of God, and I know as long as I'm working and doing God's will, He will open doors and put the people in my life that need to be there to make this happen. We're talking to former NFL linebacker Keith McCants, and Keith, you talked about how money destroyed your family, your friends, and everything. What is your relationship now with your family? Well, my relationship is fine. It's it's going really good. Um, I don't have all the money, but I'm happy as I ever been. Okay. Okay, and that's a great thing. I mean, happiness is is priceless. Happiness is right. a thing that's priceless. But you know what I have learned? You know what I learned over the years? It's not about Keith McCants. It's not about you. It's not about my sister. It's not about Joe Blow. It's about helping other people unconditional with unconditional love and hoping that they can. Because God's sending his people through here, and somebody they can hear what I have to say and go on and, and, and do the will of God. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, it's, what I'm trying to do is way bigger than Keith McCann's. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But because yeah, I, I, I'm truly is, but all honesty, is doing, I, I feel that I'm doing the will of God by sharing my testimony and talking to different people and things of that nature. Now, hypothetically speaking, 
if you had to do it all over again, if you had to do it all over again, you got the money and everything coming off back in 1990. Let's go back to 1990. Hypothetically, if you had to do it all over again, how differently would you have handled things? And 2020 is hindsight. I mean, 2020 hindsight, you know, we all can make the right yeah. decisions there. But how much different would it, have, would it have been for Keith McCants? Knowing what I know today, I, have, I would do everything differently. Everything. Okay. The giving unconditional, just trying to help people unconditional, buy people this, uh, helping burying people's parents and everything like that. That there, I did it because I did. I began this in my heart, but I would have took a different approach to doing what I did. Um, you know what I'm saying, I did thousands of dollars to churches, ten thousand dollars to church at a time. Cause that's all you can write off. If I knew I could do what I do today, the financial manager, uh, talking to them, everything I gave away, I would roll off my taxes. Okay. Every day I helped somebody, I would roll off my taxes. I was in a 48% tax bracket. So, therefore, I would have done a whole lot of things different. At 20 years old, you give $20,000 away and make like nothing. $10,000 per person is a tax write-off. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, I can get this guy, I can get this person, this, this person, that, by write-off of my taxes. And not give all the way, and then at the end of the year, you still got $100,000 of taxes to pay. Definitely, and that's a lot of money. That's a whole lot of money. And you had an interesting story about taxes in the documentary, where you know you you, you gave the person who your agent the money to pay the taxes, and he never did it. Right. That is a, when I go before the judge or the IRS, I say that's your problem. Because you got people, you got people that got money. You in a, if it wasn't for Buddy Ryan, Buddy Ryan helped me pay my taxes. He took my last contract. And gave me my money up front and helped me pay my tax. I love Buddy Ryan like a father. He is a first class guy, man. I love him to death. I, I was I was under Rex Ryan at the Arizona and Rob Ryan, and we we um we got real close while I was there. And I wish those guys the best. By the way, I wish Buddy Ryan the best. I don't know if he's doing that well or not, but I love him. I love him to death. He was he is a true player coach. He's right. that one. The one will tell you something a lot of people don't know. They wonder why Nick Saban does so well. They wonder why Buddy Ryan does so well. A head coach's job is to motivate a player and coaches to do better than what they really are. And you do that by giving them, you rip them down, you give them confidence when they need them, you rip them up when you need when they need it. And that's one coach that the egos did not stop doing them. He, he, he may maintain, he got to maintain Reggie White, Clyde Simmons, Seth Joyner, myself, Eric Swan, Wilbur Marshall. He is a true first-class individual. And how how many coaches would have done that? You got tax trouble, you got problems. It's okay. We you got a contract coming up. We are gonna take your money. We are gonna pay these people for you, but you don't have to play. You gonna use your seals. We gonna take it out your out, out, out your paper, out, out, out your dog exchange. Hey, do whatever you gotta do. Because I read uh, they had they I read take no excuses. Definitely. They don't care. Definitely. They don't care who you are. They like the whistle You're right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They don't care who you are. They don't care you're a movie star, superstar. You own, you got to pay them. And the only thing that is guaranteed is death and taxes. And, uh, you got to pay your taxes. And, Keith, I know you got a website. Where can fans find out some of the great things you have going on in terms of uh, some of your speaking engagements and everything that you have going on? Well, yeah, I have a uh, speaking engagement, I think, on the 3rd. I'll be talking to a Christian church in Fowl, Alabama, and I've got an autograph session. And Jacksonville, Alabama, this this weekend coming up, 
and I'm getting want to get out there and sign some autographs to some of the Alabama fans and whoever come about. It'll be in Jackson, Alabama from ten to two, if I'm not mistaken. And um I'll be speaking I don't y'all have the definite time, yeah, I gotta to talk to my agent about uh doing uh for the youth church and I'm expecting a good turnout to tell them a piece of my story about what not to do. And 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 and, and my story it don't only only affect uh, uh, athletes, but it it, it targets uh, regular people to live life on life terms because we all have problems. You don't have Definitely. to have, be an athlete to have the same problems that I have had. Definitely. And real quickly, now you said that if the if the NFL offered you a job, you wouldn't take it. Under no certain terms would you ever work for the NFL again. No, I'm not saying that. Is that I want the NFL embrace something or get something for okay. for and that would help other players and help retired players. I want to be a part of something like that. Like okay. I said, I'm not hurting for money right now. I'm doing okay. And what I what's, what's my passion and what God put on my heart is to spread my story and tell my story. And if okay. I, the NFL will allow to get some kind of program where me, Andre Rising, Warren Sapp, any of those NFL players that people know, know, know of us to go out there and to different schools high schools, colleges, and from the first-year players and players that are coming out, this is what you're going to have to deal with, okay? Now you're not in the limelight no more, okay? Now you can't play football no more, okay? Now you got these injuries, okay? Now you're just saying, I've been through it. By the grace of God, I came out of it. I lived Definitely. on the streets for two years, man. I ate up the garbage can. I took baths and showers. I'm going to tell you wow. something. I tried to commit suicide. I was at the bottom of, bottom of, the, of the pit wall. But by the grace of God, I came out of it. And I'm not ashamed to talk about it or to tell you about it. You know why? Because I'm about to, I, when you go through the fire, you come out, you know God is God is delivering you. If I can't talk about it and share my story with you, I can't help you. Definitely. Definitely. You have a great story to tell. Fans, go to KeithMcCants.com. That's KeithMcCants.com. Also, follow him on Twitter at KeithMcCants. He has a great story to tell. And, I mean, it's it's a remarkable story. You have a remarkable testimony here, and uh, I think people need to hear it. And, Keith, it was a pleasure hearing your story, man, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward, and we'd love to do it again. Man, I thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry about the delays. I apologize to the, to the listeners. But I tell you what, it's well worth it. Some good things been said today. and some good things that are about to come out. It's just, it's just sit and listen, and um, we're going we gonna to make a difference. We're going to make a difference. In the, in, the, in the athlete world. Definitely. Keith, nothing but the best of luck to you, man. Thank you very much. Take care. Keith McCants, former NFL linebacker, and we saw Keith McCants on ESPN's 30 for 30 broke. I mean, a powerful, powerful story here. I mean, it, it's an amazing story. It, it truly is an amazing story. And as I said before, we brought Keith on. We We all can say that I wouldn't be put in that position or that position or I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is if you're 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 years old, and you're in a situation where you have all the money in the world, money that you don't think you can go through, how would you act? What would you do? How would you handle things? Could you say no to, to, your, to your mans in them? Could you say no to, to your family, your brother, your sister, your cousins? Your uncles, everybody, everybody wants a piece of you. 
and not just family, as, as Keith McCann said, you got sharks coming out uh, everywhere wanting a piece of you. Everybody wants a shot at you. Everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody. How would you respond? And and it's a great story. I mean, that was a great documentary, by the way. And, I mean, it, it was a great documentary, an interesting documentary, a powerful documentary. And, and it makes you think. It really, truly makes you think. It really, truly makes you think. What would you do? What would you do in that particular situation? What would you do if you had that much money? What would you do if you had grade A women throwing themselves at you? What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? You're young, you're dumb, and you know the rest of it. And the reality is when you have that kind of money, and money busting out your socks, money everywhere, money everywhere. If you have all this money, all this money, you look at Evander Holyfield went through $200 million, Mike Tyson $400 million. I mean, you don't think it's possible to go through that type of money. You really don't think it's possible. It's hard to fathom that a person could go through that type of money. It, it, to me, it's it's... I mean, I, I, you wouldn't think it was a, would be impossible. You really would. But it's not. It's not. It's not. And as we've seen on that documentary, as we've seen uh, through many different stories, Vince Young's story, and, and then so on and so forth, Keith McCann's story, so on and so forth, the reality is you can't go through millions and millions of dollars. It's possible to spend millions and millions of dollars. It may not be as hard as you think. Uncle Sam's got to get his. Your agent's got to get his. And then you have everybody else. Sister, brother, cousin, uncle, aunt, distant cousin, cousin's brother, sister, so on and so forth. So you tell me, how would you handle it? What what would you do? And I know you're going to get the answer, that couldn't happen to me, that wouldn't happen to me. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. Keith McCann's story is a cautionary tale of what can happen and what will happen to you. The NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, that don't last forever. That does not last forever. That does not last forever. And the reality is it didn't last forever for a lot of people, as we saw in that documentary. You saw at the end of that documentary a list of players, and it was a long list of players who have declared bankruptcy. And some of the names on that list is just stunning, absolutely stunning. And the amount of money they went through is absolutely stunning, shocking, surprising. You didn't think it was possible to go through that type of money. You don't think it's ever possible to go through that type of money. Oh, it's possible, and it's happened. It's happened to a lot of guys in the National Football League, a lot of guys in the NBA. And a lot of guys in Major League Baseball. Money came, money went for a lot of these guys. Money came and money went for a lot of these guys. And the reality is now, some of these guys are paying for some of the bad decisions they made as a youngster. But again, 
But again, if you were put in that position, how would you handle it? What would you do? Would you have been successful in fighting off everyone? Would you have been successful in choosing the right agents, the right financial people? I mean, would you have had that type of success? Not so sure you can definitely say you would. You're talking about a pressure-packed situation, money, and then not only you have the money, but you have the situation where you have to also perform. So you have the pressures of everybody asking you for money, and also you have the pressures of having to perform. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. That's a whole lot to deal with. And I'm not so sure I could have made it. I'm not so sure I would have came out of that situation smelling like roses. I'm not so sure. I'm really not. I'm not so sure. And then then you feel bad for a lot of these guys. You really do. You really feel bad for what happened and some of the stories that they tell and some of the physical problems that they have. Some of the physical problems that they have. And he talked about in an interview guys like Andre Waters who took his own life and who had numerous concussions in his career. He took his own life. Young man in his 40s. That's young. That's young. And he took his own life. I mean, a lot of people who have, you know, just a lot of different stories that we've seen. Again, a very powerful movie. If it comes on again, if you're around your TV, I recommend viewing that documentary, 30 for 30 Broken. Tremendous stories about what's going on in the lives of guys, of athletes, now and and after their careers. I mean, before and after their careers, during their careers, and the things that they did and the things they went through. Tremendous story, and hopefully, again, you'll check it out and see exactly what I'm talking about. Hopefully, you'll check it out and see exactly what I'm talking about, because you would be totally, totally blown away by some of the stories, blown away by some of the stories that you've heard. And I know Leon Searcy, I mean, his final year, he said he got the injury settlement, 60000 6000 went to his uh, his uh, ex-wife for child support, and fifty of it, he had fifty four thousand left, and fifty of that went to a brand new Hummer. And this is a guy that was on the the end of his career. Didn't matter. It didn't matter. And you heard Andre Risen say, you know, I didn't have gambling problem or any those type of problems. I had a spending problem. And when you spend too much, you want to run into problems. You flat out run into problems. And we saw all the problems that these guys have ran into. Keith McCants being one of them, the problems that he ran into. The issues that he ran into. So he has a powerful story, and, and I hope he can partner up with the NFL and whoever else he needs to partner up, partner up with to really get his story out there. The, the movie is a help, and it's big, and it's gotten his story out there. And hopefully... You know, he continued to get his story out there to people out there who are looking to become athletes and, and, you know, future athletes of America. 
Future Athletes of America, I hope they look at that documentary because it really, really, really can help an athlete moving forward. It really can help an athlete in his life. It really, really can help an athlete make the right decisions, the proper decisions, the best decisions for their lives. So we'll see. We'll see how much this documentary really changes things. Do I have my doubts? I do. I do. Because money does crazy things to people. Money does crazy things to people. Money makes people do some crazy things. Money changes a lot of things. A whole lot of things. You think you know a person, let that person get some money. They may change on you. They may change on you. They may change on you. And that's money. Money can be the root of all evil. really can. Money brings the worst out of people, unfortunately. Money brings the worst out of people, and it can bring the worst out of a lot of people, and unfortunately it brought some bad things out. You're listening to Go Forward on Block Talk Radio. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! And we're back. In the next couple of minutes, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of Basketball Wives LA. And that is each and every Monday, 8 o'clock Eastern on VH1. A lot of people like the show. Very popular show, and I have to admit... It's a guilty pleasure of mine. I do enjoy watching the show, and uh, me and my wife watch it on a consistent basis, so we are fans of this next guest. And let's bring her in now, one of the stars of Basketball Wives LA, the one, the only, Gloria Govon. Gloria, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was a great And before we get into the Basketball Wives, let's talk about some of the things you have going on outside of Basketball Wives as you have a big role in an upcoming short film called Clean Ops. Tell us about it. I do. It's um, Clean Ops. It's basically, like you said, a short series, and um, I play an assassin at night and a professional ballet dancer during the day. And you know, I'm just really excited about it. I don't think that I've ever had an opportunity to show kind of like you know this bad girl assassin, you know, athletic side. So I think um, it was, it's going to be really exciting. So I'm happy about it. And, and also, you got some other things going on. I, I didn't know you could cook. You can cook. You can do your thing in the kitchen. And you're doing some big things in the kitchen. You got a cookbook coming out at some point. Tell I, us about that. I do. My cookbook is supposed to be coming out at uh, the beginning of November, and I'm really excited about it. A lot of people don't know I can cook, but, you know, um, I never really, like, I don't want to, you know, stir people the wrong way and think that I, like, went to culinary school or you know, I'm the next, like, Wolfgang Puck because I'm not. But I enjoy cooking, and Matt and I, um, we come from a very mixed background. You know, I'm black and Mexican, and Matt is black and Italian. And so we've, we've grown, you know, we've grown up with cooking, and he was, you know, brought up in the kitchen, basically. So 
we just took a lot of our mother's and grandmother's recipes and kind of modernized them to our to our living style. You know, took a lot of the lard out, a lot of the salt and butter, and you know, just the way stuff. we used to cook. Yeah, That's basically. All the good stuff. <laughs> basically, <laughs> and we made them a little healthier. And um, yeah, I have a cookbook coming out. I'm really excited, and you know, I am. It's a total of about sixty recipes, so it's not going to wow. be my last. And um, yeah, I, ho- I hope people really enjoy it. So. Uh, Let's take us through. Matt comes off a, a big-time road trip now. What kind of meal yeah. would you prepare for him? Um, Matt is actually kind of, you know, he's really in tune to his Italian um, side, but his favorite food is Mexican food. So um, I would probably honestly make him, like, cheese and teladas with, like, okay. refried beans and rice. Well, um, okay. Or if not, you know, something kind of, you know, meatloaf. He loves meatloaf, baked potatoes. You know, um, he's not a very big vegetable person, so I I gotta try to get his vegetables in. I gotta sneak them in. You know, like I put a lot of bell pepper in the meatloaf, and you know, I put some uh, fresh chives on the on the big potato. So I gotta try to sneak his vegetables in. But you know, he's he's a pretty big meat potato and Italian guy. Now you and Matt, uh, you guys got married a few weeks back. Apparently, it was a secret uh, wedding <laughs> in Las Vegas. How is married life? And take us through that wedding. Um, you know, it was it was not that it was secret, but it just it was so random. We actually went out to Vegas for my sister's birthday, and okay. uh, we had a, a lot of family members and our, you know some of our closest friends out there. Um, and you know, Matt had been talking about marriage, and I was like, eh, mm, not really. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we kind of got to Vegas, and you know, we we had a really good intimate talk, and we had discussion and with my family. Um, and we were just like, you know what, like, let's just do it. So we flew. It was really last minute. I mean, like, we called my parents at 5 in the afternoon, and we got married, like, at 9 that night, you know. So it was wow. just it was just really random. We flew everybody out there, um, and we just made it happen. But, and, you know, it was just it's the way our relationship is. We're so untraditional anyway um, that it fit our relationship perfectly. And, honestly, married life has been really good. It was kind of like, I explained it this way, it was kind of like just an exhale. You know, I felt like all the BS just went out the window, like, mm-hmm. in, a, in a flash. And now we're just a little bit more calmer, and we have, like, a, you know, just a, a stronger foundation. So um, it's been good. Like, our communication is better. I just feel like we're more relaxed. You know, we're not, like, so, you know, anxious about things. So yeah. It wasn't a situation you guys did take a time out there for a few months there. It wasn't a situation where... Your relationship almost needed that time out to succeed moving forward. Absolutely, yeah. We we uh we took like an eight month sabbatical, <laughs> and uh, it really was needed. You know, especially on my end. I I was uh, well, I've been with Matt for almost almost seven years now, and my you know I was with him my senior year in college, so I didn't really get a chance to just explore life and you know be young and you know just have a good time and just be goofy and you know and um and I knew that I knew that's what I needed I just kind of needed to exhale don't get me wrong I mean I'm still a mom and my kids are my first priority obviously but it was just we were just always on top of each other and you know Mm -hmm. in each other's space and it became very difficult I felt like almost to just breathe and just you know I mean be able to let my hair down Um, so basically you needed to get to know you a little better I did, I did. In the process of being with Matt, or a professional athlete in general, you know, I feel like I lost who I was. I was always mm-hmm. doing for him, and 
you know, in any we moved five times in six years. Like it was just, you know, it was a lot. It was a lot to do, a lot to process, and right. so I, I felt like I just needed to step back and just, you know, kind of find out who I was again. And I did. And Matt said in previous interviews that the show had a negative effect on the relationship. Do you think that was the case? Yeah, I think, you know, putting, you know, um, Matt obviously, you know, was in the spotlight, but putting our relationship under the magnifying glass, we just basically allowed so many people to have an opinion, you know, whether or not we listened to it, but people had an opinion on our relationship. And regardless of how I feel like how strong we were or are, aren't, you know, we started, it, it started to slowly kind of trinkle in, you know, and then, um, everything we did was just magnified. You know, if we had an argument, for example, or if we, you know, were walking down the street and I was looking the opposite way, all of a sudden it was like, oh, mm-hmm, see, she's looking. You know, it was just right. everything was just so scrutinized and it became really hard just to be in a relationship. You know, it was kind of like, oh, God, what are we going to hear about now? And, you know, what kind of picture is going to come up next? And who did, you know, like it was just, it became really stressful. So, I think so. I think that's why this season, you know, you won't see Matt, you won't see the kids, you you know, right. you just, we kind of, we X all that out just so that we could live a somewhat normal life. Be honest here. You knew you were going to get back with Matt. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't like you. No. Um, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> Matt is obviously the father of my kids. And yeah, you know, I always said that when I pictured my future or when I looked at the light at the end of the tunnel, or even, you know, just kind of picturing my wedding. I always saw Matt at the end of it, you know, at the end of that aisle. Right. So um, I did. I did know that I was going to get back with Matt. And so that's why it was, I knew this, um, you know, this breakup was really needed, you know, because I knew that it was just going to make us stronger and it was just going to allow me to just stand on my own two feet and have, you know what I mean, get my strength back as a person and a woman. And that's exactly what it did. But, yeah, I knew it. I think he knew it too, even though he was, right. you know, being a little shiesty about it. <laughs> Things happen, stuff happens, but you guys are <laughs> together. You're happily married. We're talking to Gloria, Go- Gloria Govan, one of the stars of Basketball Wives LA. And Gloria, let's get to Basketball Wives right now. And I know you get asked this all the time, but Jackie, I mean, she <laughs> obviously just watching the show, she loves attention. And you could call her an attention whore. You can call her a lot of different names. But she obviously loves attention, and we saw last week as she was crying while Bambi was performing. I thought that was a little strange. thought that was a little weird. Um, all in all, what's wrong with Jackie? You know, honestly, I think um, Jackie really – okay. I'm sorry. My, my kids are trying to explain to me why they're going to wear their Clipper uniform. Okay, okay no problem. No, no, no. Um, you know, honestly, I think Jackie is um, – you know, I think she just she really just likes attention, and I really think that anytime she doesn't have a hundred percent of everyone's attention, you know, she'll do something or say something to, you know, what I mean, to kind of have all eyes on her, regardless of how people feel, um, regardless of what it is that she says, and you know, um, I just think that she's always had it that way. You know, I, I could tell. You know, it, even in her relationship with Doug, you know, I could tell that, you know, I mean, she she does stuff to get his attention or, she, you know, she kind of runs that ship, you know. So I think she's always been used to being in charge. Um, okay. So when she's not, she'll just do something just ridiculous or she'll just say something so off the wall where people are like, you know, in the middle of their conversation, they'll be like, you know how you're like, 
the DJ's going and all of a sudden he's like, Her? you know, like that's how, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff Jackie says to make you be like, wait, what? You know, like, what did she just say? And that's right. what she loves. So she's always doing that. Um, and, you know, I always tell her, I'm like, Jackie, this is not your moment. You know, like, right. let people have their moments. And you will get yours, I promise, because it's inevitable that you will make it, make it happen. But, you know, so I think that's what she just does. And um, I always, I mean, you see how I am. I'm like, okay, she. I, I feel like she has multiple personalities, maybe some bipolarness. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just like, oh. Jackie, Jackie, Jackie. <laughs> Well, let's let's do this. Let's put Jackie on your couch right now. And and yeah. to me, I look at you know during his career, Doug's career. I know every five seconds Doug would throw a little signal up to her. She'd throw a little signal back to him. And then you have the weddings every single year. To me, mm-hmm. that to me goes back to the point that I think she just loves attention. Yes. No. Absolutely. Um. You know, she just, that's just, I'm saying, that's just what she does. You know, I think she just needs to let people know or, I, you know what it is? I think she just likes to feel important. You know, like, I just think right. that she really wants to feel important. And, um, you know, like she said, she's obviously been in the game and experienced much more than um majority of the girls on the show have. So I think she wants to let that be known. You know, I think that she just wants everyone to kind of look up to her, talk to her, come to her for advice. Like, I think she just wants just to feel like that, you know, like that boss girl, you know, like she just runs everything and everyone's right. like under her little, you know what I mean, under her wings, like, Definitely. yes, ma'am, salute type of thing. But, um, you know, it's just, it's it's not going to happen on the show because all of us are, are, are our own, like, strong, independent people, you know, so I think that really frustrates her. And she'll just, that's when she just says crazy stuff, like, have you ever... You know, lick someone's toenail. You're like, what? <laughs> You're like, Jackie, <laughs> we are talking about, you know what I mean, kids. What are you talking about, lady? And she's like, oh, I'm just saying, you know. And you're like, oh, God. So she's, a, she's silly. Now, you knew Jackie before this whole thing. Did you know she was this type of person? No, that's what I would tell That's what I always tell her. I swear every single time I tell her, I'm like, Jackie, who are you? Because I've known Jackie for a while, and my sister's known her for even longer. And I'm like, Jackie. I've never in my life seen this side of you. I'm like, is it, like, did it just happen? Did something traumatic happen? Were you in a car accident and now you don't really remember who you are? Like, wait, like, what? Tell me. You know, I'm like, did I just not know you? Or because you did a great job not bringing right. these other personalities out. Um, and she's, you know, she and the thing about Jackie, she'll turn, I don't care if you talk about, you know, her her outfit her like she will find every single anything you say to her she'll she'll find the positive in it you know she'll be like I'll be like Jackie we're not friends she'll be like oh I know we're best friends and I'll be like no Jackie we're not friends at all she's like I know because we're family I'm like Jackie you know like like listen lady <laughs> and so um so she will always walk out of that room knowing that she's just your best friend and she's your family and your sister and, you know, your mentor, and you're like, oh, my goodness, Jackie. You know, so it's just, she, it's almost, for me, I'm like, it's just a lost cause. I'm like, all right. And I know we, we saw uh, Jackie and Dre, they kind of got into it a little bit. What, what's your thoughts on that? It was crazy that night because, you know, I, I asked the girls to come together because I was leaving for a while. So I was just like, hey, you know, I'd really love for everyone to get together. Um 
And Drea came in, and she I just felt like she was just determined. You know, Drea is, is actually really feisty. I think last season, you know, we saw, like, the cute Drea, you know, the the, um, the unsure, you know, kind of coming into, like, the lion's den. Um, and I think that, you know, this year Drea has really just kind of become a little stronger. And so when Jackie was, like, belittling her a little bit, I think Drea was just like, I've had it you know, like, enough, you're not going to keep calling me little girl, and I, you know, because, like, again, it goes back to Jackie feeling important, you know, and so right. um, I think Drea would just had it. I think she, <laughs> she was just kind of thrown off the edge. I think it was bit. the 19th so, hoe that she got called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was great. I was, and that was another thing. I was like, what the, and then she gave her a little sucker. I mean, it was just, it was a whole lot. Sometimes I feel like Jackie just walked into those, but, you know, I'm like, Jackie, you were just going to, you just be walking into the punches, girl. <laughs> We're talking to Basketball Wives, L.A. star Gloria Govan. And, Gloria, we, we saw on this season that you and your sister, you guys, there was some distance between you guys. You guys had a heart-to-heart there on the show. How is your relationship with Laura? Um, you know, it's good. You know, honestly, not to say that, um, you know, I feel like as a sister, you know, we just kind of allowed – we're really close now, but we just allowed um, – you know, just ridiculousness to kind of get in our in our relationship and just allowed, it was kind of like Matt and I, you know, we allowed other people to start kind of getting in our ear. And we're right. both very stubborn, very, um, you know, egotistic. And so it was just kind of like, well, I'm not calling her because she said, you know, and well, I'm not calling her that too because she said, and it was just, it was so ridiculous when we started to talk. It was like, you know, well, you said this and you said that, and it would be like I didn't say any. You know, it was just all that, and it was just kind of crazy for um. It was kind of crazy for us to have allowed that much time to go, you know, go right. on because really, I talked to my sister, or I did before that. Talked, I talked to her every single day, so it was just weird not to. Two weeks turned into a month, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was months. You know, it almost been a year where I was like wait a minute, you know, it was just, and so much stuff had happened, and we had a lot happen, it was just, it was, it really was just ridiculous, um, but now, you know, now that we've kind of broke that barrier, it, you know, we're so much closer now, like, almost back to where we were before, um, which is awesome, because I, you know, I love, and I miss her, and even, she lives in LA now, so that's perfect, because she's right around the corner, so, it was a lot, you know, I, I mean, and I, um, I have to honestly kind of think, you know, the show, and because I don't think that we would have given each other that opportunity, you know, like, I think we would have allowed it to have gone on longer, because that's just how, like, hard-headed and, you know, special we are, so it was a lot, it really was, and, you know, I and that moment is so real, because honestly, we forgot that the camera's around, and we forgot, you know, oh my God, you know, the audience, and like, we just really started talking, and so, you know, that's, it was so real, and I'm really happy that I could have shared that moment with you know, with just the our fans and everything in general, because those type of situations do happen. You know, we are family, but we don't always get along. You know, and I just that's just kind of what one of those moments were. Or what? And real quickly now, Gloria, you have a lot of things going on. Where can mm-hmm. fans find out about some of the things that you have going on right now? Oh, um, I you can I'm on Facebook and I'm on Facebook. It's Gloria GVN. Um, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Glow Govan. And right now, my favorite thing is Instagram. 
Um, and that's the okay. same thing. It's at Glow Go Band. So, and I try to do my best to respond to people, you know, all my fans. Um, and, you know, I'm on Facebook, a lot of personal pictures, you know, just to kind of let people be, you know, in tune with what's going on with me. Gloria, it was a pleasure having you. We wish you nothing but the best of luck, and we'd love to have you back. Let's do it again. <laughs> Absolutely, anytime, and thank you. I appreciate take, it. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Gloria Govan, Govan, excuse me, one of the stars of Basketball Wives. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for it Can. For everybody here at go for it see you later. Take care. Bye.